0: Hello, NAFI instructors. This is John Niehaus, program director for the National Association of Flight Instructors, and I'd like to welcome you to More Right Rudder, the aviation podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today's episode, I'm very pleased to be able to share with you is a edition, former edition, of our NAFI 10 question challenge. Now, if you're not familiar with what the 10 question challenge is, as I'm sure you'll be surprised, it involves 10 questions. Um, It is a video series that we do on our YouTube page, and we've done a number of these. They get released once a month, and uh, the basic idea behind this is we've come up with a list of questions that we think will be uh, meaningful. We think that flight instructors will kind of have to ponder a little bit, and so we give it to them in advance so they can prepare And what we want to do is find out what made them successful in the profession, what made them successful in other aspects of the profession. So I found not just successful instructors, but instructors who have transitioned that into other things. So airlines and charter and owning a flight school and aerobatics and, and, and all kinds of stuff. And what we want to do eventually is take all of those responses and kind of boil them down into what exactly does it mean to have the keys to success in flight instruction. And then additionally be able to say, okay, these are the things that made the majority of the airline pilots that we asked successful. These are the things that made owning a flight school uh, successful. And and be able to say that it all comes back to quality instruction and you know these particular skills. So we're really excited about it. It's stuff coming down the pike there. Um, And this particular one was done by a good personal friend of mine, Greg Brown. As I'm sure you uh, may know, Greg Brown is the um, author of the Savvy Flight Instructor. He's been a master instructor for the National Association of Flight Instructors. He was an airline pilot at one point, flight school owner. Um, Greg Brown's Flying Carpet, and in fact, he's even done uh, Greg Brown's Flying Carpet as a podcast, too, which he's currently doing, so quick little plug for Greg. Please look him up. Uh, His podcast is fantastic, so you'll really, really enjoy it. Um, But anyways, um, wanted to get to that, and before we do, I just wanted to mention a quick sponsor of ours, uh, this time King's Schools. Um, Now, I think we're all familiar with John and Martha King and King's Schools and, and how fantastic their products are. And just wanted to let you know that uh, they do some really special things for NAFI and for NAFI members. Um, All of our members have access to a set of five risk management courses for completely free. Um, Now this is things like risk management for pilots, uh, single pilot IFR, takeoffs and landings, weather, Reluctant Passengers, Systems Emergencies, Flying Emergencies, and Commercial Pilot and CFI Maneuvers. So uh, there's a, a whole list of things you can do. You can pick five of those, and they're awesome. Um, additionally, King Schools also provides us with a 20% discount on all of their products. So if there's ever anything that you're looking to uh, to purchase from them, um, you can get a 20% discount just for being an AFI member and and this is the thing that's really exciting um they have a uh flight instructor scholarship the naffy king school scholarship and uh that's actually given out at sun and fun every year so we just did it and uh i'm very very proud and excited to announce the 2021 recipient of the naffy king school scholarship um and it is a gentleman by the name of alan Reinders, and um it seems very, very deserving. Congratulations to Alan. There's going to be more information to come. And uh, we're just really excited. So it's always fun to be able to see that uh, that this scholarship goes out and goes out to someone deserving. So without further ado, Naffy 10 Question Challenge with our special guest, Greg Brown. I'm so pleased to welcome my guest today, Greg Brown. Greg has been a flight instructor since 1979, which equates to about 41 years of experience. He's a CFI, double I, MEI. He was Flight Instructor of the Year in the year 2000, the first accredited NAFI Master Flight Instructor. He runs the Greg Brown Student Pilot Pep Talk group on Facebook. He was the uh, columnist for AOPA Flight Training Magazine uh, for his column, the Greg Brown Flying Carpet. And he is a author for ASA under the ASA publication umbrella and has written several books, including the Savvy Flight Instructor. Greg, welcome. Thank you for having me today, John. Oh, I'm so excited. And uh, with normal fashion, we'll just jump straight into it. Um, Was flight instruction part of your original career plan or was it something you never anticipated doing?
1: Uh, I didn't seriously anticipate it. My dad was a flight instructor, so I had been exposed to it, and I admired him, of course, like most of us do of our parents. Uh, But I basically was one of those people that every time I felt like I needed to sharpen up my skills and I wanted to be better at piloting, that I would add a rating. Um, When it came to the time, so I, I staggered through. I got my private in 72, my instrument in 77, but then once I got my commercial and the CFI, then I got excited and went on and got the other CFI ratings and immediately began instructing and have been
0: immersed in it ever since. It's amazing how addicting it can be once you start it. It's true. So reflecting on your instructor skill with your first student, how do you think you did? Well, I, I don't remember specifically
1: who that was. Uh, I do know that my wife was one of my first students, and I would not recommend trying to teach your spouse. Oh, wow. Uh, In fact, I'm going to mention that right up front. That's kind of a funny story. I got her through to solo, and she's a terrific pilot. She's glider rated. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was a certain point where we were working on stalls, and uh, we've all had this conversation with our students, pull back, pull back, pull back, no, no. No, you just have to pull back a little. No, I won't do it. <laughs> so that, that kind of ended that one student chapter with Gene. But um, no, seriously, in terms of uh, the first student or two, I think I did pretty well because I was a faculty member at Purdue at the time. And so I was accustomed to teaching. And I think anyone who's taught previously is off to a good start flight instructing. They understand the basic principles of of teaching. But the hard part to learn, and I don't, this wasn't my first student, but it was among my early students, was assessing a student's judgment is something that takes a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. So I had one student, uh, I'll call him Ron, who um, I sent him off on his long cross country. And in those days, that was a 300 mile, three leg, 300 mile trip. And, you know, 150 and we discussed refueling at each of the different spots and so on. But I didn't hear from him when he returned that evening, which kind of upset me, I couldn't reach him. Uh, This was before cell phones. The next morning I get a call from the flight school saying, "Uh, hey Greg, uh, I just wanted to let you know that one of the airplanes that we were refueling was almost completely dry and we wondered if it might have been one of your students. No. And I said, which airplane was it? And he said, the one with the dented wing. So it turned out that this fellow's mother was paying for his flying lessons. He was a produce student. I was doing this after hours. Uh, And he, I I learned later when I talked to him, he suddenly realized that if he used his own credit card to pay for the fuel, then his mother might not reimburse him. So he he did not refuel on the 300-mile cross-country in a Cessna 150, So then I said, well, what's with the dented wing? And he told me that even though he had never refueled, he was taxiing around one of the airports on the trip looking for the fuel pump and the wing hit a light pole. Oh, no. So that almost ended my career there. I mean, everybody was understanding, but I was so horrified at the risks involved and that someone would do something like that, that uh, that's probably the one time in my entire flying career that I thought, you know, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Fortunately, I got past it.
0: Anyway, long answer to a short question. (laughs) Sure, I mean, it's the the nervousness that comes with sending a student solo, and and frankly, even after you've been doing it for years, it's still that uh, incredible pressure of, oh, I hope everything goes okay.
1: It's true, and will they they rise to whatever occasion that they need to? Right, exactly.
0: So most of us have had an instructor mentor to help us learn the ropes. Who was yours and what was the most meaningful thing they taught you?
1: Well, I'm going to share the words of a few mentors because I think the words are memorable, okay? Sure. My primary instructor was Bob Vetter. This was in Madison, Wisconsin, way back. And um, one day we were flying in the pattern at Madison and there were F-102s flying around still in those days, the Air National Guard. And he's like, oh, we're going to go out and practice stalls. So we went out there to do stalls. I was a primary student, of course. And um, uh, while doing power on stalls, I didn't put enough rudder in, and we entered a spin. And Bob did something then which has stayed with me through all of these years as a fundamental part of how I view instructing. We're in a spin, right? The horizon's going around. Bob sat there like this with his arms crossed, and he looked at me, and he just said, so, Greg, what are you going to do <laughs> while we're spinning, you know? And I, I I, don't know. I don't know what to do. And so he talked me through the process probably several times, right? Because I was completely flipped out. And I recovered from the spin. He never touched the controls. Obviously, we had safe altitude, right? I mean, we were 3,000, 4,000 feet. But I never doubted my ability after that to recover from a spin all these years, right? Because he armed me to solve the problem. And I've never forgotten that. Um, Another great mentor, I did my uh, instrument instructor in a Purdue course. And I took my check ride with uh, Mitch Grundman, who was the head of the flight program at Purdue at that time. Uh, Stern guy, but a, a great guy and a terrific instructor. And he told me a tip regarding instrument flying, which I've always remembered. When people, when your student starts to get overloaded, which is the nature of instrument training, right? Right. Mitch told me, there's only two things you need to know for instrument flying. The next two things. If your student can know what the next two things they're going to have to do are, you know, cross this fix, make a radio call and turn right or whatever. And then they rearm themselves with the next, if they're always ahead by two things, they can, they can do an acceptable job. It's not big picture, Mm -hmm. but it reduces workload a lot. So I found that to be a really valuable thing to tell students, you know, forget about the missed approach. It's six places down at this instant, concentrate on the next two things. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mike Wiggins at Embry-Riddle did some research on transfer of learning. I won't go into it here, but the essence of it is to deliver no more than a few important points at a time because people can't absorb it. Mm -hmm. And that's covered in my savvy flight instructor book in detail, what Mike taught me there. But I think it's something we all need to know is if we can condense the meat of the lesson into a few points they must remember and not overwhelm them, they're much more likely to remember it. Um, There's a thread to all these, which will come out in a later question here, but Fred Gibbs here at Flagstaff, he's ex FAA, he's a terrific flight instructor. I go to him uh, along with another fellow for my recurrent when I need it. And Freddie, he will always find a way to put me in a situation that I wasn't expecting. And then he'll sit there and wait for me to figure out how to get out of it. And one example of this is they put some new approaches in a few years ago here at Flagstaff, and I was up for my flight review, not for an instrument check. So I wasn't really thinking about looking at the new approaches. So Freddie says, well, you know, we got all the other stuff done. Why don't we go shoot the new LPV approach? So I said, okay. And I pulled it out and cruised over there, I start down the approach and I was nailing it, you know, the needles were crossed. I felt great. And Freddie says, "Uh, okay, wind just shifted. Let's land on the uh, opposite direction. So we're on the approach, right, on our way down. And uh, I start looking at the chart while I'm flying and I'll be darned if I, I couldn't find the circling minimums. It turns out because there's a big mountain next to the airport, that particular approach, circling is not approved. so I had to figure this out on the fly literally and change I had to complete the approach miss it and then shoot the GPS 3 approach back in the other direction to land but he put me in this spot and of course the moral of the story is I should have looked at the approach more carefully first right Mm -hmm. but Freddie always makes you puts everyone no matter how experienced they are in a spot where they have to figure out what to do and it's such great training And finally, I want to mention Jim Pittman, who's a a, uh, member of NAFI and great guy. And he's the other guy I go to for training. Um, The first time I ever met Jim was for a flight review many years ago. And uh, Jim asked me about my flying and so on. But the thing he did, which I thought was so simple, but so brilliant, and I've always remembered this, is as he was questioning me about what kind of flying I do and so on, in preparation for the flight review, he he asked me the question, Greg, what do you feel you need work on? What do you want to get out of today's lesson? And that's so simple, and I know some instructors ask it, but it was so straightforward, and I immediately, you know, like I was doing confession or something, I, well, actually, Jim, (laughs) Jim, You know, there's these two things I'm just rusty on, and I think one was Shandell's, and one was actually reading the new METAR format at the time. And he said, okay, we're going to nail those two things along with all the other required stuff. Simple, but I got what I really needed out of it, which was the areas I was rusty in. We might never have tried those
0: otherwise. Okay, long answer. (laughs) Well, two points to that. Your your first story is is the the exact dichotomy between a new flight instructor and an old flight or older isn't the right word experienced flight instructor. You know, a new instructor is like, oh, I gotta I gotta do something, and an old uh, experienced instructor is yeah, that's true. Okay, well, we got we got another minute and a half before I gotta do something about this. Um, so I always found that interesting because when I finally got to that point, it was like, okay, I've made it. <laughs> I, I I now understand what I'm doing. that's Um, a good feeling and it's not the first day it's incredible and and to your point on i think the second to last story about the approach i had a similar experience one of my mentors was uh, flying around with me and we were shooting an approach and we knew we were going to go missed and what i didn't realize is that he had arranged with the tower to give me the alternate missed and he thinks about the alternate missed approach so i'm you know going missed and i'm doing what i'm supposed to do and he goes where are you going i said oh i'm the chart says to do this and this is what we briefed. And he goes, yeah, but they told you alternate missed approach. They, they, what, what, what <laughs> I have never forgotten to brief an alternate missed approach ever since then, because wow. I was completely dumbfounded by the whole concept of, Oh yeah, that actually is there and they can give it to you. <laughs> so, wow. So just a, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from on those. Um, so what's the most valuable non-aviation skill you learned from being a flight instructor? Well, there's, there's two of them. Um, they're related.
1: Everything about flying is about risk management, right? And we do the planning before we take off, and we're always keeping options open, you know, what if, what if, what if, to have a, a safety plan and out for everything. And I find that that, That once you start thinking that way, it applies to anything you might do in life. You're starting a business, what are you going to do? I can't plan for COVID very easily, but you know, what are you going to do if you have a cash shortfall or if you get more business than you expected? Or if it's, and and this applies to anything, even uh, launching on a uh, vacation, or it just changes your thinking that you're always prepared for some kind of a possibility of what you might something goes wrong what are you going to do and then the related part of that is facts versus nerves most pilots sometimes i think every pilot occasionally is nervous before takeoff about something they're going to a strange airport high mountain airport the weather's bad never flew this airplane before just came out of annual you got reasons why you're a little nervous but as we all know once you get going you take off you're you're fine and the, the bottom line on this is that when making decisions, and I teach this aggressively to my students in these words, you, you need to separate facts from emotions. If the facts say it's safe to go, you know, I know I have the skills to shoot this approach. I know the runway is long enough. Yes, the clouds are dark, but there's no thunderstorms. There's no ice. I'm nervous, but the facts say it's okay. I go. If the facts say it's not okay, I don't go. I try and leave emotions out of it. Gut feeling, someone who says, yeah, I just didn't feel about, right about the flight, so I didn't go. That's crazy, in my opinion. You'll miss half your flights. Now, the most dangerous situation, interestingly, is those people that, and of course, this is one of the personality types we study. The people who, are, who do not value the facts, they are the dangerous ones. In other words, the problem isn't nerves. The problem is the people who don't get nervous when they should. So if you look at the facts and you say, everything's working against me today, but I'm going to take off anyway, that's obviously a problem. Mm -hmm. But if you go with the facts and analyze it and say all the facts add up, I've got the skills, the airplanes prepared, I can do this. Yes, I'm nervous go. And that applies to a lot of things in life. And I think it's one of the biggest growth points, For someone becoming a pilot is you realize that being nervous is not it it doesn't need to stop you from all the wonderful things you can try in life it's about managing
0: it it's about managing it. it so what do you enjoy most about flight instruction i love the uh
1: empowerment part of it um most people who learn to fly have a dream of flight. They've always wanted to do it, or they think it's gonna be the coolest career ever. And the idea of empowering people to achieve their dreams, to me, is just the biggest kick in the world. You have someone come in who can't do the radio, they're nervous, they'll you know, they never get all this figured out, can't do crosswind landings, and then you see them two, three, four, five months later pass their check ride, launch with their family on dreams they never thought they could pursue. To me, that's what it's all about. And it's one reason, by the way, that I've stayed in in the uh, general aviation level of instructing. is because that kick when people solo, that kick when they take their family, I I, uh, suck that up. (laughs) I love that
0: feedback of giving someone that pleasure. Absolutely. I mean, one of the main points of this entire series is to measure the commonalities between responses from everyone who does this with me. And, and I got to tell you, that aha moment has been one of the continuous points that people always bring up. And, and everybody just goes, oh, man, it's the best feeling in the world. It
1: really is. There's a few people who never catch on to that magic. I think often it's because they don't instruct very long while they're headed somewhere else. Right. And I understand why they move on. But for those of us who keep doing
0: it, it's the, it's a huge kick. Absolutely. So what is your most interesting, scary or fun story you've had with a student? Well, there's an instrument flight. I actually,
1: this is something I've written about, but I, uh, had a fellow, his name was John, but he wasn't you. Right. Uh, instrument student, he owned a Cherokee uh, Warrior. And this guy wanted to be a military aviator. He had been in the military, but not as a pilot. But he wore, I, I kid you not, this was out of Lafayette, Indiana, he, flo- he wore a Nomex flight suit to his lessons. He wore gloves to his lessons. He did not wear a helmet, but... He, he had, you know, this guy was all about being a fighter pilot in his Cherokee. And he, he was an absolute fanatic on details. So he, I, this is not an exaggeration. I used to see him, I'd go out to the airport and he'd be under the airplane with a toothbrush, cleaning the seams, cleaning around the rivets and where, you know, where the sheet metal meets and so on. And then he had taken the instrument panel apart parts of it off to to repaint them because they were a little bit scuffed or a little bit worn, you know? So, I mean, just an absolute fanatic and he had just reupholstered his airplane. So anyway, we get ready to launch on this instrument cross country. And uh, John brought along his son and his son's buddy. They were both probably 14, 15 years old. We flew to Kalamazoo. The weather was not hard IFR. It was real easy IFR. We flew to Kalamazoo, your home home area, mm-hmm. and we went to the museum, which
0: is called? Kalamazoo Air Zoo, which is also where the Nappy headquarters is. Is that right? Yes, sir. See, I haven't been out that way in a long time. Well, I don't think,
1: if Nappy was there then, I wasn't part of it. We were. But, okay. So we, we land, we went through the museum, which was great, and then there was a bowling alley across the street. We ran over there, grabbed a hot dog. We got in the plane, we took off for home. By now, the weather had deteriorated, and it was good solid IFR, perfect for this mission. It wasn't dangerous, but it was like six, 700 overcast the whole way, we're in the soup. And this guy, John, flew just like he dressed. He was by the numbers, by the book, never missed anything on the checklist, always perfectly under control, no needle moved at all. I mean, the guy was really impressive. So we're flying along, we get back to Lafayette, we're shooting a VOR approach into Lafayette, which of course, uh, this is pre-GPS, so step-down fixes. We cross the VOR and start down to the first step down. And one of the boys in the back, apparently these bowling alley hot dogs combined with the turbulence and being in the soup. Oh, no. One of the boys started throwing up in back. And then that then the other one started vomiting. So this is a mess, right? John, can you, I don't know if you can see me here, but... John turns around, right? He's holding the wheel. He turns around like this and starts yelling at the boys because they're being sick in this back seat of this pristine airplane. And we immediately rolled into like a 90 degree bank and plummeted right down to or through the step down fix. And I had been sitting there like this because this guy was so good. I never had to touch the controls. And by the time I untangled myself and grabbed the controls and, and regained them, um, We weren't in danger, but if he had been alone in the plane, they would have been goners. He was so thrown off by the kids vomiting, he was unable to complete the approach or land the airplane. I did that. Um, It was one of the two or three scary things that's ever happened. Because as I think we all know, most of the time, the student errors are pretty predictable. So most of the time, as you've got some experience, you're not sitting there wondering what they're going to do. But uh, this was an interesting one. And after we landed, I said, John, aren't you kind of glad that happened? And no, no, no. You know, I just got the reupholstered, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, but you saw there that you can't stop flying the airplane when something happens. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. So we had a little talk about it and I I felt like he got something out of it. But as I was leaving, he said to me, "Uh, Hey, Greg, do you know a good spot to get seat covers so he hadn't fully absorbed the lesson, but that was, that was scary and it was educational for me as well as him. You just don't know what the trigger might be for someone to flip out. And Absolutely. if you can identify that trigger early while well, during training so they don't do it,
0: find it out themselves, you've actually done something. Well, and it reminds me of a similar situation. Um, I always tell my students if they're on a check ride and God forbid something goes wrong, and the examiner gives them the opportunity to continue always, always, always say yes unless you have a really good reason to say no. And, and the reason for that is, is A, you can't fail the check ride twice on the same day. And B, it gives you the opportunity to take those, those feelings you have, ball them up, and throw them behind you and continue. And if you can do that, then you've really made something out of sort of a poor situation because you, you've learned that you can make sure that you're going to make it back. You've learned you can continue in a difficult situation. And I think that that, like you said, is, is a huge lesson to understand.
1: And they often learn something about themselves when that happens. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. In in other words, that they were able to continue solve the problem or or redo the maneuver, whatever. And then suddenly like, you know what, now I know
0: what I'll do under that, that, that I'm going to be okay. Exactly. It's it's something, I mean, I, I, it happened to me when I was a student and, and it's something that I'll never forget, um, which is why I try to make sure that I, I pass that on to my students so that they understand. So in your mind, uh, what quality or skill makes for an exceptional flight instructor? Well,
1: you can probably see this thread from all the way through uh, I think it's all about empowering your student to be PIC from day one. To me, that is what makes it exceptional. Yes, they can do the maneuvers. Yes, they know the material, but they take responsibility for the flight and they can make decisions. And um, another part of that is to understand that people learn differently and that you may have to teach them differently to suit the way they learn. But it's gotta be all about empowerment. Um, Recognizing their concerns and involving them in all flight decisions. So that there's never a point where I as an instructor, am saying, "Uh, we should just do this without involving the student in that decision directly. And uh, just a little example of that, that, that I like to do. We've all experienced where a student will come out and find a nick in the prop or a wrinkle in the skin somewhere on the airplane, a a cracked piece of um, a cracked fairing, something that's finer. And they're like, "Uh, is this safe? Now, our tendency is to say, sure, no problem. This is common. But if you can tell they're really concerned, it's actually worth, saying, why don't you go grab the mechanic and have him or her come out and take a look? Because now you've empowered this person, if they see something they don't like, not to blow it off, to ask the question, even though you know it's safe. You want them to do that. And that is going to save their butt many times in the future if they do it. So I think an exceptional flight instructor makes the the student PIC all the time from day one. I think that's great advice.
0: I absolutely love that. And, and for example, in, in what I do, especially when a, a student is trying to determine whether the, the weather's good enough. You know, you, you, you give them the opportunity to look at the weather, make the analysis, and come back and tell me. And I've had students where they've done that and they've said, yeah, it's fine to go. And, and I'll let them make that decision. I'll let them go pre-flight. And the entire time I'm going, okay, it's gonna rain in about three minutes. <laughs> see what happens. And if it does, then I kind of go, OK, well, what happened to that weather report that you got? And if it doesn't, usually I walk out to the airplane and that's about the time where I go, all right, well, let's make let, let's have a conversation here on decision making. But it's it's so much more profound to let them do that than to go to them and say, yeah, the weather's not good enough. We're not going to do it. Well, what did they learn from that? So I, I, I think your advice on on letting them be PIC is is extremely valuable.
1: Now, the other side of that is obviously there are going to be occasions where they're going to say, I don't think it's safe today, but you know it is. Mm-hmm. So here's a chance to have a discussion among equals about it. Well, let's talk about this a little bit, you know, what are the risks today that you're concerned about and so on. So now we got two equals talking to each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that again, they're being PIC, I'm still imparting the knowledge I can have a discussion with them, but I'm never blowing off their decision or their concern. We address it. And frankly, if they're still nervous
0: about it, even after we've discussed it, we probably shouldn't go. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Okay. So what aspect of flight instruction best prepared you for what you do now? Well, as most people know, I'm mostly involved with writing now, you know, to a larger audience.
1: And um, I'm a big believer in what's now called scenario-based training. And I learned a long time ago that if you, if you can uh, present the scenario of a situation, or if you have a story to tell that illustrates what the possible outcome of a certain decision might be, that's the best way to convey to a student, you know, to involve them in the thought of what might happen. And so this is not something I thought about back then, but as I got into the writing of, My flying carpet column, for example, which is stories mostly with lessons. This is something that I had developed as a skill and I could take it with me under my arm to the magazine and write about it. So like I said, not something I realized at the time, but I now know that was something I brought with me that I
0: learned. So as a part two to that then, um, how did you utilize that time to transition into what you professionally do? actually there's kind of a funny
1: story to the transition um i had been instructing a tremendous amount for quite a few years i learned in 79 as we discussed i became a cfi in 79 and i was instructing a lot but i was also flying for my own business and then i got a corporate job flying in navajo um, down the line, I flew for a regional. So there's a certain point where I felt like I was sort of done instructing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was tapering off of it. And I thought, and I, at that point, I had already done the uh, turbine pilot manual. And I thought, you know, it would be really cool to share with others what I've learned since I'm getting out of this. And I wrote the Savvy Flight Instructor, which, of course, is about succeeding in the business of instructing, as well as keeping your students motivated and so on. In other words, not about how to do maneuvers, but how to address the uh, other issues of flight instructing. So, of course, I, when that book came out, I don't. You may not know this, John, but uh, Sean Elliott was executive director back then, and before the book was published, Sean was one of the people I asked to read it to see, you know, for input. And Nappy gave every member a copy of the Savvy Flight Instructor book for several years. He bought a large quantity. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, Sean's such a cool guy. You know him, right? Or do you? I don't think I do. I don't know if we've met. Uh, He's a great guy. He's over at uh, EAA. Sean called up one day and said, "Uh, I hate to ask you this because I'm a little uncomfortable about this and it might not be appropriate, but do you think the publisher would mind if we pre-ordered a couple thousand books to give to our members? And I'm like... I don't think they would mind, Sean. <laughs> but uh, it, a lot of the folks who are watching probably, if you've been in for a while, you have a, a dusty old copy of the first edition from from that period. But anyway, the, the reason I tell that story is that, of course, instead of ending my instead of be, terminating my CFI career with this book, it opened up a whole world of other things. My column, teaching for NATA, National Air Transportation Association, did flight training business success seminars I taught for and uh, the master CFI thing. All these other things happened. And so, of course, I've spent my whole career doing
0: it now. Incredible. It's, I, I have a copy of that book myself. <laughs> so it's, I, I loved it. Um, so if you could give a new instructor one piece of advice for success in the profession, what would it be? Well,
1: if you've learned one thing about me in this interview is that I never have a simple answer to a simple question, it's back to the empowerment thing. And you can see this runs through the advice that I got from my mentors and everything else. Empowering your student to be pilot in command, that they can make decisions and handle the thousands and thousands of passengers who may ride with them in the future, especially if they fly professionally. I want them to be confident and competent in making decisions and that they'll handle whatever comes along. So I've got a couple points I'd like to make on how I think, and this is something I tell new instructors, how do you make your student PIC? Some of these we've talked about a little bit already, involving them in every decision, we've already discussed that. Um, Making learning and flying fun and rewarding. You know, if you love something If you love a sport, uh, if you love to play a game, you will do everything to excel at that sport or that game or whatever, that that career. And so to me, this is one of the sad parts about a lot of people who go on and fly airlines and so on, is a lot of them, you see that enthusiasm, they kind of tamp it down to seem professional. And one reason I've stayed in flight instruct is I I thrive off that stuff. But if you can make flying and learning to fly fun, you're really empowering your student. And an example I'd like to give on that that's that's a negative example of it. Uh, There's a fellow I know named Bob Purcell who is uh, actually headed toward his CFI right now. Um, When he was taking his instrument training out in New Hampshire, um, there's an instructor shortage there like everywhere. The CFI he had been using left, and he got a CFI who was, uh, had just retired from Southwest and was extremely experienced, you know, sharp individual, had kept the CFI alive probably through seminars and FERC, you know, through FERC all these years. In any case, he hadn't been recently instructing. So they take off, and for the first time that Bob had experienced, they, they flew an IMC. They climbed up into the clouds. They climbed through the clouds. Bob is flying the plane. They break out on top, blue skies, that that high that you get when you clear the clouds. And Bob says, my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And the instructor shut him up. The instructor said, we're not up here to sightsee. We're up here to work on the skill. And you can't be looking out the window. And it just crushed the, the student, right? He called me up afterwards. Now, to his credit, he didn't say, I'm going to quit. He just said, I'm never going back to that guy again. But we all know people who would quit, Mm -hmm. told that. And that learning moment when he says, this is incredible. What an opportunity to say to him, this is what it's all about. It's going to be tough doing this instrument stuff, but you can do it. And this is what it's all about. And then you can see where he's going to go. You can completely control where this person's going to go with your demeanor. Um, the value of a pep talk can't be overemphasized. You never want anyone to leave a lesson dejected because they did poorly. Mm -hmm. If you can, you'd like to repeat the maneuver or whatever they're having problem with, but you got to have a talk with them. You got to make sure they're excited about coming back. They don't feel bad about themselves. And in fact, this is why I started this uh, Facebook group, the student pilot pep talk group, because every one of us has experienced somebody who had a bad landing or something or uh, went into a spin inadvertently or whatever. They come out of the lesson, they're ready to quit. And a five minute pep talk that we give them makes the difference between whether they come back next time or not. Mm -hmm. So I think that's so important. And as part of that, every instructor, in my opinion, should post a learning plateau out of the Flight instructor handbook by their desk. So that rather than just talking about the learning plateau, everyone's going to reach it. We know that. And we say, hey, this is a learning plateau. And it's so common that it's right here in the flight training handbook. Here, here it is posted on the wall. Look, Notice after a series of lessons of improvement, you reach a level where you're not getting anywhere for four or five lessons of that. Now it's not them personally it is everyone encounters this. You and I can handle setbacks if we know that everyone has trouble with it, but if we think we're, you know, I don't have it in me to do stalls, I gotta stop flying. Okay. Celebrating accomplishments is a big, big deal. Not only should you do something special when they solo, and when they get their private, post it on Facebook, give them a certificate, Definitely cut the t-shirt, do that stuff, let other people know, make a ceremony out of it because people thrive on that. Plus it also is good marketing. If their friends, if you put it on this Facebook or on Instagram or whatever, their friends see it, that's, they might come to you next. But some of the lesser accomplishments like lesser because they're not official FAA accomplishments are actually even bigger for the student. Like the first time they make a greaser landing We all know that thrill. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: At minimum, bring them into the office and make a big deal out of it or take them to lunch, you know, make a big deal out. You know, so-and-so, Jane just did the most amazing landing. She's been working on this for weeks, and now she just, she's got it nailed. She may have a setback or two, but she nailed it today. I, I just can't emphasize enough how important that is to keep people going. Are we doing okay on time? I think we're doing okay. All right. A very quick story. So we live next to the Navajo reservation. And so we've gotten to know some Navajos pretty well. And they have a ceremony, which I just think is the coolest ceremony. It's called the baby's first laugh ceremony. So when when a, newborn, when a child is born, the various family members and friends will try and get the baby to laugh. And whoever gets the baby to laugh first throws a party hmm. and everybody comes to celebrate that this baby has now entered the community socially, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the laugh is that first response we all wait for when we're changing diapers is to, we just get a laugh. And to me, these, these accomplishments are those, they're baby's first laugh kinds of accomplishments. They're huge, even though they're not formal or official. Okay. The last two things here, let your students make mistakes and touch the controls as little as possible. Like Bob Better did with me. Every time we grab the controls, we defeat the confidence a little bit of our students if it's not done gracefully. I mean, obviously sometimes you have to, sometimes you say, I'll demonstrate, but you want them to make the mistake if it can be done safely, because that's the best learning moment. If they screw it up while they're at the controls, now they're like, oh, man, how do I solve this? That's the perfect teaching moment to train them. But you don't want to touch the controls. And uh, you and I chatted informally one time. My, my brother, Alan, had a flight instructor one time who tried not to touch the controls but had a real problem keeping his hands off of them. And over time, he had developed this habit where every time, like, Alan would do a maneuver, the, guy, the instructor would – reach for the controls, and then he'd slick back his hair. Then he would do it again. And this happened repeatedly through the flight. So it went from funny to Alan didn't fly with him anymore. (laughs) Okay, and then finally, I want to say that I like to challenge my students to find me in errors. This all comes back to the empowerment of the PIC. I'll say to them, look, I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. Anytime you think I might be wrong please raise it and we'll discuss it. And if you catch me in something where you're right and I'm wrong and odds are you will, I'll take you to lunch. In other words, I wanna reward them for questioning what I and you and their fellow students tell them.
0: I think that's all great advice. I I, I think that uh, each and every one of those things Embodies the idea of a good flight instructor. I, I wish that uh, I could show this video to everyone because I, no, I think that uh, I, I think that those things are 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 great examples of of what makes someone an excellent instructor in this profession. Um, and with that, I, I thank you for being a part of this, Greg. And uh, I know that you have some projects going on right now. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about those? Well, I'll mention a few of them.
1: Um... A couple of things that people might not know about. Well, first of all, the books, we've talked a little about the books, but Turban Pilots Flight Manual, we have a new edition out, Mark Holt, my co-author, and I. So fourth edition of that is out, and it's great with a lot of improvements. Uh, so those of you who are teaching turban or learning turban, that book is uh, teaches all the principles but no formulas. That was our goal. And then the Savvy Flight Instructor If you get that book, be sure you get the second edition because that that's the new one with all the social media and so on. It's it's a couple years old, but the first one came out in 98. So you don't you don't want to get the first one, get the new one. okay?
0: And And then, Greg, real quick, shameless plug. uh, NAFI members get 20 percent off of ASA. So don't forget the discount if you're going to order those books. you know while we're talking about that if anybody wants an autographed
1: one you can buy them off my website you won't get the 20% off but if you want an autographed one you can do it Um, the uh, my latest project is podcasts I've got two episodes out it's called Greg Brown's Cockpit Adventures from the Flying Carpet and it's available you go to my website gregbrownflyingcarpet.com It's on YouTube. It's on all the usual podcast channels, Apple, Google, and so on. Um, And I'm proud of it. I hope you'll give it a listen. As with my column, it's all about telling a story, usually with a lesson or two buried in there. And then one other thing I'd like to mention is... uh, A lot of you know that I've been involved with aerial photography for a long time selling prints and so on and and my magazine column for years was illustrated with my photographs and I have started something the last few years that's been pretty popular called um, pilot achievement plaques and uh, if you have a student who's soloed or earned their private and Often this will be a family member saying, you know, what could we do to help, you know, to celebrate this occasion? Take a look at my site at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, and take a look at the pilot achievement plaques. What I do there is I get the photograph from, you know, of the pilot first solo, the day they're getting their certificate, whatever, and the details of the flight, and incorporate those and in a you know written on this date at this airport and so on incorporate that with a photograph of their choice in this beautiful uh, semi-gloss metal wall plaque it's 10 by 20 it's a nice big plaque um, it's just a really wonderful gift and they're very affordable they i think it's 125 so they're getting something real special and that's probably that's enough projects to keep me busy infinitely.
0: Yeah, as a, as a subscriber to the podcast myself, I, I recommend it to any, anyone watching this video right now because uh, you won't be disappointed. And there you have it, folks, our uh, most recent edition of the NAFI 10 Question Challenge with our guest, Greg Brown. Thank you so much for joining. john House back again and just wanted to quickly say thank you so much for listening to more right rudder it's been a really cool project to start hopefully it's something that you're enjoying hopefully you're learning something and uh maybe even it's something you want to uh to share with others um we would love it if you haven't already uh if you would subscribe to the podcast and if you feel so inclined we'd love to have a rating as well preferably a good one <laughs> but uh it would be great because it does help grow the audience. It helps get uh, attention to the organization, and, and really that's what we want to do. Um, the more people that know about these types of activities, the safer and the better we can get uh, aviation as a whole and, of course, the, the little uh, section that we operate in called flight instructions. So thank you so much. Um, if you like this type of thing and you want to actually see it, on our YouTube page, if you haven't uh, found that already and instructors at YouTube, and um you can actually watch this. So if you like the interaction, you can actually see who it is that I'm talking to. You can see Greg Brown. you can see the different briefing room episodes that we've recorded, and a whole bunch more. So um certainly, if we could uh, ask if you go there, subscribe to that too. That'd be great. Um, but uh, we also have a lot of social media outlets. We've got two different platforms on Facebook. We have a NAFI instructors discussion group, and we also have the NAFI page, so you can join or follow that. Um, and we also have NAFI instructors on Twitter and on Instagram. And, of course, there's a, there's a page and a group on LinkedIn as well. Um, so all that stuff's cool. If you want to join, we'd love to have you. Um, you don't need to be a member to follow or join any of those things. So by all means, uh, please feel free. Now, if you do like what you see, we would also love you to be a member. If you want to join up, you can join up at www.naffinet.org. And once again, you don't have to be an instructor. You just have to be an enthusiast. If you're interested in education, you're interested in aviation, you're interested in how people learn, um, you know, ground instructors, private pilots, commercial pilots, whatever, um, we welcome you in. So um, you can feel free to do that. And if you have any questions, you can even email us and email me directly at jnehaus, N-I-E-H-A-U-S, at naffinet.org. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon.